Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. It's a crisp November morning in, in Coolidge today, but we are pleased to be broadcasting once again episode number 12 of the Gospel of John concerning the Messiah. Um, now, um, we really are so appreciative of all those that are tuning into this class and uh, both uh, with us and, uh, and with us via the Internet and the mysterious waves that uh, sometimes connect us. Um, and we're so pleased to have you here. And this uh, study in the Gospel of John, to me, is such a blessing because uh, as I read it and reread it, I... I see things that I did not see uh, many years ago. I don't believe I've really ever been in a study of this particular book in this way, <clears throat> but certainly many of the different areas of it. But what I'm trying to do is move through it in a not a perfectly chronological way because it doesn't 
and say it's in perfect chronological order, but in a way that, um, as the way it's written, we certainly are moving from one place to the next. And this is all early in the ministry of Jesus, uh, as we know. And his ministry began about 29 AD, uh, John about six months before, uh, during the, uh, and we know that because of the reign of um, uh, Tiberius, I believe, it was the emperor at the time. His, uh, his year was given in the Gospels. <clears throat> so we have a very clear understanding of the time frame, but not a day-by-day account. Uh, much has been done in the way of trying to harmonize the Gospels to bring this into light, but even then we can't know for sure. Outside of things such as the, the time of the Passovers, those things that we, we really can date year by year, so we, knew, we know when they occurred <coughs> in, in way of a date, if, if it's the date we're looking for. So we're now reading in the fourth chapter, and following the movements of Jesus and those that are with him. From Judea, as where he was before, his intention is to go again into Galilee. And he sets out on his way. But he almost must, but he must pass through Samaria on the trip that he is uh, taking. And according to the scripture, we find him at what's known as Jacob's Well, a uh, well-known area for the Jewish people and even the Samaritans, near Shinar, uh, Shakar, I believe it's better said. And that, according to the map that I have, if you're looking at Jerusalem where they were, and then as they, remember, they traveled north a little ways to um, up on the Jordan where they were baptizing and uh, and all. But now they're traveling up to uh, Shekar, which is about, I would say, 30 maybe 35 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, we think, well, that's not very far. But Well, remember now, they're walking, and they're doing things along the way. Um, they're stopping, and, and, and they're resting, and they're eating, and they're doing all the things that this group is going to be doing. And now uh, we find Jesus resting, from their long walk that day. Uh, they've probably been walking about six hours or more uh, where we, we come to him in the fourth chapter. Um, we're going to uh, look at the uh, first five verses to start with, and then we'll move on. Reading from uh, Young's, literal translation we read these words when therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees heard that Jesus more disciples doth make and baptize than John though indeed Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples he left Judea 
and went away again to Galilee. And it was behooving him to go through Samaria. He cometh therefore to a city of Samaria called Shinar, near to the place that Jacob gave to Joseph his son. We're going to read verse 6 also. And there was there a well of Jacob. Jesus, therefore, having been weary from the journeying, was sitting thus on the well. It was uh, as it were the sixth hour. Well, you know, there's something interesting in this that I don't know if I've ever even noticed before, but um, verse 1. Did Jesus, in having more people baptized uh, by his disciples, make an impression on the Pharisees? And was that uh, was that was that his intention to show the Pharisees that more were coming to him? Uh, in other words, you know, John kept mentioning and talking about the preeminence of the one he had baptized. John made a point of it every time he spoke of him, always deferring to him. Well, now we see that it seems that even the people are going to him. Um, and they were baptizing more than John and his group. Now, I don't know how big John's group was, but uh, Jesus had quite a group with him. They could have baptized many people uh, in a day's time. And Jesus, of course, would have been delivering the message of the nearness of the kingdom and things of this sort. Uh, it would have been a very profitable time. And, of course, all of this was for the Jewish people to be ready in themselves for the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, the promised kingdom, and the Messiah. So I wonder, you know, I think it's very possible that Jesus wanted the Pharisees to notice. Um, not saying the very words that they were challenging him to say, but showing them by the things that he said in his teachings, his actions, the miracles, if you will, all of these things, letting them make a decision, who is this man, Jesus of Nazareth? I just think it's uh, it's incredible, and of course uh, we'll find as uh, when John starts speaking later on uh, that this was the the intent. Uh, John has spoken in chapter three uh, about the fact that uh, he must uh, become less and Jesus must become more. We've already went through that. That's just exactly what seems to be happening. And it would have caused quite a stir mentally for the rulers of the Jews at that time. The, um, uh, the priests and the Pharisees, Sadducees even, although they weren't very interested in Messiah or anything else in a uh, spiritual sense. So I think that's very interesting. Now, verses 4 and 5 give us 
the uh, travel plans, the route of Jesus. We know that he was in Jerusalem, and then he went to be baptizing on the Jordan, and now he's traveled north clear to Sychar, um, which is about 35 miles north of Jerusalem. He's in Samaria. And, you know, these things all being, being right, the thing that we can ascertain from this, even the cursor, cursor uh, the, a reader in a cursory way, is going to see that these things really have happened. These are real places. And indeed they are. Uh, one of the other things, I, I looked up every time I see this time, uh, like the sixth hour given here in uh, uh, verse 6 where it says it was about the sixth hour. In other words, when Jesus uh, was sitting on the well, it was about the sixth hour of the day. Now, we know in the, in the world of the Jews, in the time period of that, that the day begins at 6 p.m. our time, evening, twilight, sun is about to go down. Now, that's true. But as far as keep, keeping track of the time uh, during the daylight hours, you, they keep track of the time during the night and during the day. Now, the, the sixth hour of the daylight is, what do you suppose? About noon, right? About noon. So the third hour would be, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning. And um, as it goes on, uh, we find this, this uh, parts of the daylight hours being also spoken about during the uh, crucifixion. So get that into your head uh, that uh, the, uh, the daylight hours, one-twelfth of a daylight hour uh, is one hour. So when it's, uh, when it's uh, six, the sixth hour, we're talking about uh, noon in our terminology. It would have been about the time that they would have wanted to stop and take a rest and, uh, and consider what, uh, what the plans were for the day. But we find Jesus by himself. And uh, as, as time, as we read on here, we're going to find that of course, the, the rest of them went into town to gather uh, provisions, something to eat, and other things that were not uh, privy to through the scripture. So, I like this because this is uh, the kind of thing, reading, because reading the Gospels, friends, is supposed to is supposed to enlighten you to the life of Jesus of Nazareth, the ministry uh, from his, his birth, the promise of his birth, all the way through to the ascension when he, after his resurrection, he, he ascends into, into heaven where he have, has come from. Now, I think this is, is critical for us to understand, and that's why these Gospels are written in the way they are. I think we should move on then to verse 7 through 10. 7 through 10. 
And it says this, There cometh a woman out of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city, that they may be, uh, may, they may buy uh, victuals, in other words, food and things. Verse 9, The Samaritan woman therefore saith to him, How dost thou, being a Jew, ask drink from me, being a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. In verse 10, Jesus answers and said to her, If thou hadst known the gift of God, and who it is who is saying to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. Well, this encounter is turning very interesting uh, to us, the reader, and of course to the Samaritan woman. Um, the narrative here is very important. Uh, for us today, the modern reader of the scriptures, to understand fully the impact of Jesus speaking to this woman of Samaria. Um, unless we knew the history and the things even said here in the scripture, we wouldn't have any idea why this, why she would have replied the way that she did. Well, Jews did not speak uh, to our knowledge, they didn't associate uh, with the Samaritan people. Uh, one, one scripture talks about, or one uh, illustration given here is they wouldn't use the same implements, like something to drink from or anything to do it. Why is that? Because the Samaritans were considered to be unclean. The Jews wouldn't go into their home to eat. They wouldn't eat the food they prepared, things of that sort. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the Jewish people felt that the Samaritans were no better than dogs, uh, was a general thought. Uh, now, that sounds very, very bad, uh, because in fact, many of these people were, were Jewish descendants. Um, but there was a lot of mixture of throughout the, the wars and all that went through that, that area. There was much inner, uh, inner uh, marriage and that sort, but still they were um, they 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 had a real understanding, and they actually had they were also expecting, believe it or not, the Messiah themselves. For that that Jewish nature and character was still present even in Samaria at that time. So I think it's very important for us to understand because, you see, understanding this idea about the, the separation between the Jews, that is the covenant people of God, the rest of the world, and how the narrative of the Bible, uh, Old Testament and New, how it's speaking to, basically speaking to the covenant people of, of God. And yes, other, other groups, other nations are mentioned. But in, in, in whole, not in part, 
but actually in whole the Bible is speaking to the covenant people of God and brings onto the, uh, onto the scene the new covenant people of God in the uh, New Testament, but they're prophesied in the Old, especially in Isaiah, uh, clearly. So it gives us an idea, an understanding. That's how we can uh, see the, the books, I think, of probably Daniel and Revelation, bringing this out very clearly. Daniel very clearly speaking of, of his people, the Jews, but Revelation. You know, most of the world has Revelation speaking about what they would consider the modern or people that have been yet to come. But that's not how it's written. That's how, not how the, the grammar and everything within it, it's speaking to the time that it was written to the people that were living then. And within just a few years, seven years to be, uh, seven or eight years to be the most, all that's written in Revelation would have come to pass in the days, in in that time period, between around 62 and 70 A.D. And we believe uh, that the Revelation was in the hands of the church about 62 A.D. or maybe a little before. So, with that, when we look at this situation of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, <clears throat> you know, I've always wondered about the attitude of this woman. Did she say these things? I mean, what was the tone of her voice? Because being a Samaritan, she probably really didn't appreciate the actions of the Jews and how they felt about her. And yet, she seems to be just doing this matter-of-factly. Like, this is how it is, and that's the way it's going to be. You know, Jews don't deal with Samaritans. and As a matter of fact, men didn't speak to women, typically, unless their husbands or their fathers were present. Uh, so, so this whole account, Jesus steps completely out uh, of the norm, in speaking to this woman. And I think that's incredible. But you know, he wanted to get her attention. He wanted to get her attention. And I'm, I know that he did. Um, so, he was there with her by himself. And then verse 10, I'm going to read it again. Jesus answered and said to her, If thou hadst known the gift of God, and who it is who is saying to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. This verse is the clear evidence that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, and spoke the words of his Father, the God of heaven. What he's saying to her here has got to raise so many questions in her, her mind uh, as to what it might mean. He's completely turning it around. Uh, the, the gift of God. In other words, he's making it pretty clear that she doesn't know what the gift of God is. 
And I believe that's absolutely true. If thou knewest the gift of God, she did not know. Jesus was answering her question with an answer that had nothing to do with the physical world or the bias of the of the Jews towards the Samaritan people, which I'm sure really is trying to cloud her understanding of this whole thing. Um, that bias was very strong. And Jesus seems to be, he's opening up to her in a spiritual way, but she's still just, she's locked into the physical understanding of, of these things. Um, now, it also says something, Jesus being a Jewish man, she could tell that by probably uh, his dress, um, even his look, I suppose. I mean, how did she know, you know? But she did, she knew exactly. So there was something uh, about him and yet he did the very thing that he thought she thought he would never do, and that's speaking to her uh, and asking for a drink of water, which would have been what she was using in the well. He wouldn't have drank from something that she was going to be using herself. So all these things were uh, a lot of questions for this lady. And what makes me, uh, what's interesting is he brings up the fact of living, the living water. And um, that, that living water is, is something that, uh, that God speaks of himself. And of course it, it's a, it's uh, it's an analogy of life without end. It's an analogy of being a true son or daughter of the king. Um, and and we find that. What is it that that she didn't know? Well, we have we can put a list here. She didn't know who Jesus, this man, truly was. Because the one speaking to her was the Messiah. But she didn't know he was the Messiah. If she had known, she would have, she would have been probably uh, asking him for a drink in a figurative way. In other words, to save her, to help her. Because she probably felt that she needed much help in the life that she was living. A drink of living water is what, is what Jesus said that she would be asking him for if she knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to her. So, you know, uh, this is quite a, a teaching style if you want to look at it in that way. I think Jesus has got her attention fully although she's not, not on, his, on the page with him at all, really. But she wants to be. She's interested in it. 
Let's look at the... Go ahead, Alex. Wouldn't he have had the attention of his disciples, too? Because I'm sure everybody everybody in a 20-foot radius had their eyes, eyes set on that. Well, they weren't there at this moment, though. Okay. They, they come back All right. a little bit later. But, of course, uh, anybody would have been interested in what he was saying. Yeah. And he could have easily made that for a larger group. Um, and it, for, for the exact same reason, yeah. yeah. It's just that she was standing there. Mm-hmm. And what she does after this, of course, adds to the whole thing. Sure. Because it's her that takes the message back into the village. And next thing you know, they got a crowd. <laughs> but that, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Let's look at uh, this living water. What truly is the living water? Revelation 21, 5 through 7. <clears throat> and of course, these are the words that God, uh, words of God that John heard. God speaking from the throne. And listen to what he says. And he who is sitting upon the throne said, Lo, new I make all things. And he saith to me, Write because these words are true and steadfast. And he said to me, It hath been done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I, to him who is thirsting, will give of the fountain of the water of the, of the life freely. He who is overcoming shall inherit all things, and I will be to him a God and he shall be to me the Son. Now, God is saying these things after all that has transpired in Revelation, such as the destruction of uh, Israel, destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the temple, the catching away, and all the judgment of the first covenant people. And now, in the New Jerusalem, John sees this. He, hear, he sees God sitting on his throne saying these words. The living water, fountain of water of the life, of the life freely. So this is what Jesus is talking about, of course. Which, um, which we have coming out of the tree of life. and the, That's right. All things to do with that. That's all right. All of that healing of the nations. Remember, we're talking about life without end. We're talking about living water. Everything's living in heaven. There is no death. There's no tears. There's no evil, no sin. And, of course, this in, in the mind of any person is where they want to be. Um, but there's much to do before that day occurs. So Jesus brings it to this point with her. How long did she think about it before she responded? I don't know. I don't know how long it took, but you know, I got kind of a feeling she might have started speaking uh, pretty pretty soon <laughs> because of the things that she says. And I think it's interesting. Verse eleven. 
Verse 11, the woman saith to him, Sir, thou hast not even a vessel to draw with, and the well is deep. Whence then hast thou the living water? You know, this woman was intelligent because she is dealing with her her confusion, her lack of understanding, her concern with the whole situation in a way I think that's a, it's a real attribute to her. I think it's also just a little bit on the snarky side. Um, she doesn't see any way that anything he said is can actually happen. And she still doesn't know why he'd be talking to her. The woman, after hearing the profound words of Jesus, returns to the physical realm immediately. But with that, with the challenging comment to Jesus about the living water, you know, she's not quite asking him directly about it, but she'd like to hear more. I'm pretty sure of that. She wants to hear more. How, how are you going to retrieve that water? Uh, and all the questions. Uh, you know, I just think it's incredible. Um, but, you know, in all of this, Jesus always says the, the right thing next. It's never, it may not be the response that a person would expect, but it's really the response that they need. I think that's the difference. Now, I wish I could respond to every question the way that Jesus can. But you see, he's not carrying around any baggage either. Uh, but as we read on, we're, we're going to see, because she's not quite done talking yet. She's trying to qualify uh, the person that's speaking to her uh, because it seems that he's saying things that are very lofty and she's not really sure of the whole situation and I don't think any, anybody would have been. But the living water, um, she's not, I, I think she's, uh, like anyone else, she's very interested in living water, because that, that's water that brings life. That's water that completely satisfies, you know. That's the idea. So as we look at verses 12 through 15, let's, let's be thinking about this. Uh, the woman continues with these words, Art thou greater than our father Jacob? You notice that she considered Jacob her father, even though she's a Samaritan. And that's the connection that is strong with them. Who did give us the well, and himself out of it did drink, and his sons, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who is drinking of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever may drink of the water that I will give him may not thirst. 
to the age. And the water that I will give him shall become in him a well of water, springing up to life without end, age during. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come hither to draw. Well, Jesus has opened the uh, opened the, the the words of heaven to her at this time, in a true meaning of what it is that he was talking about. And in verse fifteen, she immediately returns back to the physical about not being thirsty again, and physically, so she would never have to go back to the well. But I think she she understands that the not thirsting is probably a little bit more than just being thirsty physically. But she wants to cover all of her bases, I guess. Uh, verse 12, are you greater than? Did Jesus answer that? He didn't answer that, did he? But, you know, in fact, the very words he's using and the things that he is saying shows that he is greater than anybody that's ever been to that well. Jacob, his sons, who are the patriarchs of Israel, the 12 tribes, or 13, if you will, uh, all of that being very large, very real, and yet Jesus was greater than they. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that they were. And he is the master, the king of the Jews, if you will. And, of course, the redeemer, the son of God. In verse 13, the water is not this water. The water that was in that well was not living water, just so she wouldn't be confused. And he said, this water, if you drink this water, no matter how much of it you take, is you will thirst again, physically thirst again. And that, of course, is the, the clarification between living water and the water in the well. They're both necessary. That water in the well was necessary for physical life, for them to live. They needed that in a physical way, but they would need it on a regular basis. It would be a constant need. They would thirst again. But verse 14 says, But whoever may drink of the water that I will give him may not thirst. And the water that I will give him shall become in him a well of water, springing up to life without end. So the living water is water that is not found in that well. But it is the water that, what did Jesus say? That I will give him. So that water comes through 
This one that the lady, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, is talking to. It's very clear. He is the one. He is the source of the water. And as we find in Revelation, John heard, heard the Father sitting on the throne say, Come to me for the living water. And in those that he gives it to, they are the well for, for others. That's right. So, she desired the living water. All people would. But still thinking in physical terms, she was. Because in verse 15, even though, and she's, she's, very, um, she's very bold in her response to Jesus every time he speaks. She has something to say. You know, she wants, give me this water that I may not thirst, but then she follows it with the physical understanding of the water he's talking about. Um, that's how I see it, at least. So, I think that's interesting. Now, this is all Jesus says about the water at this moment, because I, I think Jesus knows uh, where he's at. But in, in verse 16, he says this to her. And here again, I don't know how much time period happened between verse 15 and 16 in, in the real account. I don't know if anything else is said. It's not recorded, so beyond our understanding. But Jesus saith to her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now you see, that's appropriate. See, that's appropriate. That, that's, what, uh, that's what would have been done, and that's just what Jesus said. Um, he wanted her to go get her husband and come. Come back. Come back here. Verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have not a husband. And Jesus saith to her, Well didst thou say, A husband I have not. For five husbands thou hast had, and now he whom thou hast is not thy husband. This hast thou said truly. And we'll end with this verse. And we'll begin next, next week with it. This, the account that follows. The woman saith to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She'd probably been thinking that beforehand, or at least a teacher, but now that Jesus had told her things that probably, maybe not everyone that even lived around her knew, he gave her the exact number, her exact condition at that moment, and she knew that it was true. How could he know? Now, the beauty of this is that because Jesus said this to her, he's not, you notice he's not criticizing her. He's just making it clear. He actually complimented her. He said, thou hast said truly. But because he said this, and because she now thinks he's a prophet, he would have to be, how do you suppose she's thinking about the water again? 
You think she believes there really is living water that he can supply? I think so. I think that's the idea. So I would, I would submit in way of debate or in way of conversation with people concerning the truth, the truth, this method is pretty well, pretty well done. I think that uh, when we uh, we'll take up here, we'll find out what happened after this uh, at the well, because a lot, lot happens. But until next week, we will we will leave off at that. There, there doesn't seem to be really anywhere to stop, but we have to. So we wish you a wonderful day this Lord's Day, uh, and I we appreciate your your thoughts and your and your considerations towards us. Let us pray. Our Father, be with us again until we meet again in our study. Help us, Father, to be found in your word and busy about your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.